people, blessed people. Well, uh, welcome to our lunch and break today. I know that today we have uh, our global all-night service that will take place, but I wanted to reach you again in your offices. I know that most of you are out for lunch now, during your lunch break. I want to talk very, very carefully to you as you come out of your offices about the times we are in. You can see very clearly the times we are in. And uh, as a Christian, as someone who is born again in that office or in that workplace, that kiosk, that supermarket, in that agro vet, that uh, as a border, border rider, taxi driver parked in, motorcycle rider, motorcycle taxi, tuk-tuk, you know, in that hardware store, in that restaurant, wherever it is, uh, during this time when uh, we're observing such a tremendous global fast, I know we have the whole globe, there's a big global fast going on, dry, holy dry fast of the Lord. This is yet another very important hour again to re-examine yourselves very carefully. I want to talk about the grace that you received, you that are born again in that office. If you give me 20 minutes or so, I want to talk about the grace you received. The grace of our Lord Jesus that you received. And how sometimes the failure to understand the conception, the misconception about the grace, misunderstanding, misapprehending it, has led to apostasy and then can cause someone to live on the earth here thinking they are going to heaven, and yet only to be disappointed, to be disappointed on that final day that they are not going to heaven. And I say that the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to keep telling people you're born again, you're born again, you're going into the glorious kingdom of God, when actually you are not going, you are not born again. So it's very, very important that we look at this tremendous grace of the Lord that he gave us and have a proper understanding of the grace. I know that we live in a generation, an instant generation, where they prefer to do things their way, their own way, but uh, the matters of God are not negotiable. So if you turn with me to our lead scripture, the book of Titus chapter 2, I'm reading verses 11 to 15, it says the following. It says, The grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. That's such an astounding statement. That's a mighty, mighty statement. That the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. That statement gets its origin, its derivative, way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the Lord says, out of the fall of man, now there will be the enmity, conflict between the devil and mankind. Because the woman became friendly to the serpent, the Lord now came to break that alliance with enmity. He put enmity between the woman and the serpent. And then he says that that enmity would be an eternal enmity, an eternal conflict, such that the seed of the woman the offspring of the woman would also be enemies with the offspring of the serpent. And let's be very careful because today we see cases where the devil uses people 
to fight the cause for Christ, the cause for the gospel, to fight the Messiah. And so those essentially become the offspring, the children of the serpent. But for you that are born again, you become now after the seed, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman that is Christ the Messiah. So when he says in the book of Titus chapter 2 verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. He's not only saying Israel, but to all people. He's also referring to the book of Genesis chapter 3, chapter 12 rather, verses 1 to 3, where the Lord promises Abraham and he tells Abraham that he has been chosen by God and out of him now will be a blessing that will bless all the peoples of the earth. All the nations of the earth would now be blessed by the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic promise, the blessing of Abraham would reach every nation. And that blessing of Abraham would be the Messiah that would come through the lineage of Isaac. And then, of course, Jacob. And then Judah. We know that very well. We know that the Lord decided to do his rescue plan through Judah. And that, that statement you see in the book of Titus chapter 2 that defines your grace that you have as a Christian, you that is a doctor, a lawyer, a secretary, mamamboga, selling the, the supermarket in the restaurant, matatu driver, mechanic, all those that are at work that I'm reaching today. That grace that you have received as a born again, or that you're going to receive as someone who is not born again, that grace is to all people, he says in verse 11. Yes, that offers salvation to all people. That refers to the redemption that God set forth to bring the Messiah to redeem man from sin. And he says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So he's saying that when you receive the salvation of the grace, contrary to what some of your pastors have told you, the salvation of the grace, the first thing it does, it teaches you to say no to ungodliness, to reject sin, in other words, to reject wickedness. And that's why there is no reason whatsoever why Christians should be wallowing in mud, in sin, to this day. And it's to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, that means sexual lust and the lust of the eye, the lust of this world, the lust of the wealth and the things of this world, that the salvation of the grace you received was meant to teach you to reject and say no to all this worldliness you see in the church today. And that's why I say it is important that you receive the grace and understand very well what the grace was meant to achieve in you as a Christian. You see, many churches today are pursuing worldly passions. They are preaching a horizontal gospel, and yet he is rejecting the world. He says, teachers, you say no to the world. Worldly passions, things of the world, ungodliness. But you see today there are a lot of abortions in the church because they have not understood that the grace was meant to teach the church, to instruct the believer, the recipient, to reject wickedness, reject evil, reject reject worldliness, reject worldly passion, reject the lust of the world and the sexual lust of this world. And he says again, Teaches you, teaches you to say no to ungodliness, worldly passion, 
and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. To live lives that are upright, self-controlled in this present age, meaning in this very difficult age where there is so much immorality and moral decay. The grace was meant to surmount, to defeat all this immorality that you see assaulting the Christians. And it says, verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, meaning the grace of our Lord Jesus, the salvation of the grace was also meant to tune you to make sure that you are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, to the blessed hope that is coming, to the coming of the Messiah. The salvation that you received was meant to turn you away from sin, wickedness, evil. So I'm asking you, as a Christian in that office, you have walked out for lunch today. If you are not part of us, maybe you are not fasting, you are eating a cheap French fries. But for the rest of us, there is a big fast, a national fast, a global fasting going on to cut the flesh, to subdue the flesh, to tame the flesh. So anyhow, wherever you are, whether in a restaurant or in that office eating a lunchbox and all that, you have microwaved it with a cup of something. So he's asking you, are you aware that the salvation of the grace you received was meant to turn you away from ungodliness, from worldly passions, from worldly lust? from evil, from wickedness, from sin. And yet you see today that the Christians are, more, are the most sinful. Those that go into the Islamic faith, they seem to restrain themselves and the Hindus even much more than the Christians do. And yet you are the ones worshipping the true God. And so, are you also aware that the dual role of the grace, the salvation of the grace you received, number one, to turn you away from wickedness, evil, and all the worldliness, the ungodliness, number two, but also to cause you to say yes, to live lives that are self-controlled, meaning to subdue the flesh, to fast, and re reduce the, the, the desires, the sexual lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and to live upright lives, meaning to be in right standing with God, to be in righteousness, in other words. To live godly lives, meaning to live holy lives in this and while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, are you sensitive towards the coming of the Messiah? Because he's saying that the grace of God that he gave the church was to sensitize her and focus her onto the kingdom of God, not onto the worldliness and onto the horizontal gospel. You see, the church today is preaching a gospel, focusing them on the things of the world, on the world. But he's saying the original purpose of the grace, those that understand it right, is that it's meant to sensitize you on the coming of the Messiah, that you may prepare. Look at verse 14. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify unto himself. Are you aware that the grace you received was meant for the purposes of purifying you, preparing you for Jesus, a people for himself, that are his own, that to redeem you from all wickedness. Are you redeemed from all wickedness? Purify you unto himself. Purify you from, from all uncleanliness, uncleanness, all evil that you see in the church, in the life of the believers today. 
And so what is the Lord saying here? He's saying to you that I've just walked out of your office, and maybe you're still in your clinic looking at your patients. And you're tuned the radio loud, as most of the doctors do today in Nairobi. But the message is this. The Lord is saying that the grace that you received has a purpose. It is complete. It's a complete gospel that has everything you need to live in this life, to stay away from sinfulness, a sinful lifestyle. If you look at the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, look at what it says, Matthew 7, 20. It says, Thus by their fruits you will recognize them, that when the grace of God has achieved all of the above in you, your fruit will be seen, that is, you evangelizing Christ to the world. And if you look at Colossians, the book of Colossians also, chapter 1, blessed people, the book of Colossians, blessed people, turn with me there. Colossians chapter 1. We read verse 22. It says the following. In the book of Colossians. Again, chapter 1. Once I get there, I read with you. Colossians chapter 1. It says verse 22, which I'm reading now. And he says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, meaning blameless. He's saying it does not matter the kind of life you live while you are in the world there. For all have sinned from Adam's time and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says very clearly that the reason the Messiah came and paid such an ultimate price with his physical body through his death is to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You that have received Christ, are you now without blemish? Are you free from accusation? Are you, in other words, are you living a life that is blameless? If you look at Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 it says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. You in that office, in that clinic as a nurse, and you know how the nurses dress in this country. They, they are given short, I don't know if they are given short dresses or they choose short dresses. It's unbelievable. And then you hear she's born again. When you do that kind of thing in that hospital, are you now showing yourself among them to be free from any hint of sexual immorality? Or you are totally absorbed in the mud of sexual immorality? Even all other Christians, they dress immorally. They think when you're a secretary, that is now a passport for you to dress nude. Huh? But it says the Ephesians chapter 5, you that are born again, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, 
or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Tonight you are going to see why that statement is very important in tonight's message at the Global Service. But for now he's saying, these are the marks of a believer. These things should not be found among you, between you, among you, in that office, in that place, in that kiosk, coarse joking around, dressing in nudity, short cuts, that people may see you. Men flapping around in text and SMS and what have you. That's, you know, dirty, unclean behavior. It says, no, the grace that you received was so clear and able and sufficient to turn you away from all ungodliness, wickedness, evil, and sin. So in other words, he's saying in the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says the following in First Peter chapter 1. I'm reading verses 13 to 19. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed that he's coming. In other words, you prepare yourselves for the coming of the Messiah. Live your life in that office, at that marketplace, at that workplace, at that oil company, at that gas station, at that bank at that law firm, in that law court, in that law firm, in that wherever, construction company, Mama Tio's restaurant, everywhere, financial institutions, in that garden, as a fisherman, as a businessman in that market. He said, leave yourself, live your life with your mind set on the glory, the coming of the Messiah. That is the purpose for which the grace of God came to save us from the coming wrath. So what is the point being born again and missing the glorious coming of the Messiah? And many Christians pride themselves of big churches that are huge buildings and empty. God is not there. In Nairobi, all over here, there are big buildings, but not even one cripple gets up. God is not there. This past weekend, we celebrated Christians that have walked all over. They are full in the way. Moses Amwai, precious Njoki, Blind like Cynthia Onjiko are now in, in university. Huh? The glory of God is here. The power of God is here. Where the presence of God is, everybody knows. And he says that you in that marketplace, workplace, therefore, live your lives with your minds alert and fully sober, setting your hope on the grace to be revealed when Christ appears. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you once had when you lived in ignorance. Now you are enlightened. Now you should be the one enlightening the people in that office, at that workplace, in that market, at that bank, in the supermarket and restaurant, in that garage. First Peter chapter 115 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. The Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is holy, and is preparing you for the glorious kingdom of God, and that kingdom is holy. He has sent his two prophets to prepare you, the nations, for the glorious kingdom of God, and he's saying, but that kingdom is holy. He says, since you call on a father who judges each, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here on the earth in reverent fear. Live like strangers. Don't absorb yourself. Don't absorb yourself into the moral decay of this world. Otherwise, you'll regret on that day. 
And I think that the worst that can ever happen to you is to live on earth here as a Christian as though you are going to heaven. And on that day, be disappointed. I have seen those who are disappointed already. I cannot tell you. I always give you a chance to make it again. Probably the reason the Lord is telling me is that I may continue preaching this, that you may be awakened and change your course and destiny. And he's saying, be holy for he is holy. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. So he's saying that the blood of Jesus is sufficient. And that's why you see when the Lord afflicted us onto the earth, the first thing we pronounced is the restoration of the authority of the blood of Jesus at the center of the Christian worship experience, at the center of the Christian, of the life of the believer, the Christian believer. And so in summary, what what is the Lord saying during this lunch break to you? He's saying that you should say not one godliness if you are born again. And you should live a life that says not worldly lusts, worldly passions. That you should live your life self-controlled in that office. Meaning control the flesh, fast the way we fast. It's very helpful, even by health. Even by health. Medically, it's very healthy for you to fast. Cut down the cholesterols. Cut down the sugars, the diabetes, the tumors, the fat. Self-controlled, control the flesh. That when you are born again, you should live a life that is controlled, is in control of the flesh. Self-controlled life, meaning Holy Spirit takes over. The Holy Spirit takes control of the life of the church, the life of the believer. He's saying that you have to live your life upright. In other words, righteousness must be at the center of your living, your life. And godliness, holiness, and that you must be eager to await, eagerly awaiting the coming of the Messiah. He says Christ Jesus himself sacrificed himself, as you see. He offered himself as a sacrifice, as we saw in verse 14. Offered himself on the cross for you as a believer in order to redeem you from all wickedness. There is no reason whatsoever for a Christian to continue wallowing in the mud of sin and morality, morality and wickedness and evil. You cannot. He already sacrificed himself to purify you unto himself and to build you as a person who is eager to do what is holy and good. Good works, holy works. This is the meaning of the grace you received. It's not a sinful life you should be living today. It says that when you are born again, you can always keep waiting for the coming of the Messiah. You must always be focused on his return. That if you have received the grace of Jesus, your focus should be on the return of the Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Because the grace of Jesus will help you to deny, deny ungodliness. Deny worldly lusts, deny worldly passions, deny godlessness, deny the worldliness. Causes you to live soberly, to live a righteous life. 
to live a godly life, a holy life, to say not one godliness, say not worldliness, live worldliness, live a self-controlled life, upright life, holy life. And that's why he says in Hebrews chapter 4, if you have time, in Hebrews chapter 4, he says the following. He says, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, he says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, meaning you the Christian, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age. That is you the Christian. You've seen the people's walk. He says, who have, and it is impossible if they have fallen away again for them to be brought back to repentance because they are lost, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. His warning is that the grace was sufficient. The grace should teach you to wait for Jesus patiently, to repent, live a repentant life, to prepare the way in repentance and embrace holiness, the holiness of God. The grace that you receive, he says, Bring salvation to all people, which is what you see in the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 14. The purpose of that salvation is to bring grace to all, he says. All people, not some, not Jews alone. He says, John 1 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And he says, the grace trains you believers, whether you are in that office, the grace trains you to avoid ungodliness, godlessness, worldliness, sexual immorality, sexual sensualities of this flesh. The grace is sufficient. It teaches you that to be saved it is to live a holy life. The grace trains the church, are you aware? It trains the believer to look forward to the glorious, glorious return of the Christ in that office. Are you talking to the people there about the coming of the Messiah? Are you yourself appearing like one who is preparing for the coming of the Messiah? Because remember the Bible says, for without holiness, Nobody will see the Lord. He says that God's grace trains us literally. It's trainer. It's a trainer that trains us. He trains us to believe and to be zealous to do good works, holy works in that office. That when you see someone hurting you, introduce them to Christ. Maybe a secretary is crying on the other corner. She has a bad day at home. A child is sick. My husband is divorcing her. You are trained by the grace to lead them to Christ. And he warns us in this scripture against the false grace you see being taught in the church today. He defines the true meaning of grace in this book of Titus chapter 2 and warns us against the false grace that you see has now brought judgment to Nigeria, to USA, to Kenya, also many nations, globally, the whole church. The coronavirus came because of the misunderstanding of the grace, there is a false grace being taught today that lacks holiness, lacks righteousness. They are telling you not to worry. But this scripture of Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12, he warns about the false grace. 11 and 15, Titus 2, 
He defines the true grace of God. He says the true grace of God crucifies the flesh of the true believer. That God's grace does not exempt us from God's holiness. No. It exempts nobody from holiness. The present day church operates as though she's exempted from the holiness of God. How? I hope you in your offices today will repent. The grace of God instead, it teaches us the dire consequences of sin, the terrible consequences of sin that brought the Son of the living God down to the earth and killed him. He died for our sin. The grace of God teaches us that God is holy. God judges sin. That's why Jesus died for your sin. It's not a license to sin. The grace of God makes the believer totally accountable to God. Are you aware? That is what he's saying in this scripture. He's saying that the grace you received is not an excuse for sin in the church, sin in the life of the believer. But instead, it's more the reason to realize the terrible consequences of sin that killed our Lord Jesus on the cross. The grace is not a license to sin, as you see in the present day church. He is warning us in this scripture of Titus chapter 3, 11 to 15. Warning this generation of Christians that hell, hell is full of people that receive the grace of God, but abuse it by embracing a sinful life. That is the warning he's raising in that scripture. That there are many who have died waiting for hell. They are going to be fooled there. They died in sin. But they are like you. They received Christ. They received the grace. But misunderstood the grace and thought it was a licensing for sin. License for an evil life. A wicked life. The scripture that I'm giving you today during a lifetime break of Titus chapter 3, 11 and 15 is a serious warning to this generation of Christians that without holiness... None of you will be with God. You will not meet God without holiness. You will not see God. That's what he's warning here. In Matthew 5 verse 8 he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But without the purity of God, that the grace deposits in your life, you cannot see God. Matthew 5 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn out of this evil world. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Because they will see God. The kingdom of God is theirs. They will be filled. They will be satisfied. The grace of God was never meant to be a license for sin. Today at what place most of the Christians are in sin. They are the worst sinners in the universities. The children of the bishops and pastors are the worst in immorality. They are the worst in abortions. They are the worst in contubining with girls in the halls of residence. The book of Revelation 21 verse 8, it says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned a place in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
meaning they will be excluded from heaven. This scripture is very, very paramount. It's warning you, the Christians. It's saying that the grace of God should train you and teach you that life on this earth is very short-lived. Very short-lived. And therefore, you should spend all your time doing the will of God. And the will of God is to live a holy life, believe in Christ Jesus, and live a holy life. These texts I've read one so much from being distracted by Satan, the world, that you may focus on the kingdom of God, verse 13 of Titus chapter 2. And he says, it is warning you to be careful that no one has an excuse in the face of such an enormous grace, such a great salvation where the Son of the living God himself died. Nobody has any excuse to be born again and then accommodate any sin. No. He's saying that the grace you have received teaches and trains you and tells you that our sins were washed away by the saving grace of Jesus once for all. And it's such a privilege. A privilege we cannot abuse. That is the warning he raises for you here. We are already redeemed. And so wherever you are, blessed people, the grace you receive, he says, as a Christian in that office, is meant to instruct you and train you, the present-day believer, to tell you that the world, you and the entire earth, that the grace of God has come to all, free of charge. Nobody has an excuse to go to hell. There's no reason to live a sinful life anymore. Emotions, laughing at men, laughing at women. No. Because the grace has sufficient power, that's what he's saying in this scripture. And so if you want to receive the Lord, I want to give a chance to those who are in the offices to call us. We also want new callers to call us from your offices. Maybe you've been in another church and you've been tuned in to call us here from your workplaces, only those at work. If you feel that you want to receive the Lord, renew your faith or receive him for the first time, this is the hour. Say, mighty Lord Jesus, I repent for abusing the grace of Jesus. And I've opened up my heart to you today and received you, Jesus, into my heart and my life as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to train me through the Holy Spirit to say no to the worldliness, the sin of this world, evil and wickedness, and to say yes to godliness, holiness, and righteousness. And to make me sensitive for the coming to the coming of the Messiah. And to prepare me as part of the people you are preparing that are your very own for your very kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, I'm born again, amen.